Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Tony here. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. It is time to talk about social responsibility, corporate responsibilities, fiduciary responsibilities. I have a very special guest for you today. But before we dive into that, I wanted to make a little bit of an announcement. This is going out. I'm recording this several weeks ahead, but this episode is going out the week of our final Black Friday sales. First of all, if you're interested in my executive presence course, you can get 50% off until this Friday. Short and sweet, 50% off until Friday the 2nd of December. And similarly, if you join Lit Up Leadership Academy this week, you can get 50% off your first month, whether you join as a standard member or you join as a VIP to get some one-on-one coaching. You can find out all about all those programs in the show notes. I've got some links in there, give you all the details. These programs are fantastic. We have so much amazing feedback from both of them. Um, Lit Up Leadership Academy, we have people that stay with us for years in there because it is just that good. So please do go check those out. This is the time to join if you've been considering it. This is only the second time I've ever done this. We did a discount last Black Friday. Um, and we're doing it again. We don't generally hold sales at any other time during the year. So if you've been thinking about it, you've been hesitating, maybe my heart goes out to you, but maybe you've been laid off and you just need a little pick-me-up in order to land that next job, working on your resume, working on your first night days, or you're in a role and you just know it's time to work on your leadership. We cover all of that. It is about your leadership career and the tools you need. So we cover all the leadership skills as well as all the leadership interview skills, the first 90 days onboarding. It is the whole package because you don't just stop needing to work on your leadership because you're interviewing. They go hand in hand. So all that stuff is in there. Go check out the show notes for all the links. Go sign up this week. Do not hesitate. You can join for just one month in the academy. And if it's not for you, that's absolutely fine. That's why we've set it up as a rolling monthly subscription. So without further ado, though, let's go back to today's show. Today, I'm talking to Avashi Bhatnagar. She is the Vice President of Business Development and Healthcare at a global organization. She works in a mission-driven population health and sustainability expert. She has over a decade of healthcare leadership experience, working with clients to advance health outcomes in underserved communities, something very dear to my heart, addressing the barriers to care, advancing health equity, and leveraging data-driven approaches to reduce the cost of life-altering high-quality care. Avashi holds an MBA from Yale and a doctorate in physical therapy from Boston University. She believes global wellness can be achieved through sustained and intentional investment in environmental justice and healthcare sustainability initiatives for all populations. We have a fascinating discussion coming up for you here from everything from environment to our social responsibilities, what that means for us as leaders and how we can lead better in every single workplace, not just in the healthcare sector, when considering the requirements of the fiduciary side of it what we require to do is business people people responsible for making sure our shareholders get their compensation and for you know employing our team at the end of the day we need to make money so that we can employ our teams but then also there's a social equity impact so there's a great discussion about balancing these priorities and actually how they can help each other coming up in today's episode let's get avashi onto the show You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. 
I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Avashi. It's so good to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to dig in. Let's start, as I always love to start on these podcast episodes, because you are an extraordinary woman in tech yourself. Can you give us a highlight of your career journey, highlights, lowlights, and why you're now passionate about how every company has a responsibility towards human health? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so... I started out my career in physical therapy. I got my doctorate in physical therapy, um, practiced in India for a few years before coming over to the U.S. and um, practiced here for several years. And during that time, I really got interested in community health, population health, and really trying to understand how I could improve the wellness of my patients so that they wouldn't have to arrive for surgeries or PCP visits and things like that in the first place. And so during the course of my research, uh, I discovered uh, the field of population health and how data analytics driven it was um, and fell in love with it immediately. That led me to getting my MBA um, at the Yale School of Management, which uh, I loved, and then went on to uh, further my career in management consulting at PwC and EY. And yeah, and I'm continuing to work uh, in business development now in the data, healthcare, health, uh, data and analytics space. And I'd say over the years, my career focus has really evolved from, uh, you know, really getting into the numbers and understanding analytics at a granular level to now taking a very big picture view on national health trends. Um, and, and that's exactly how this collaboration with my co-author for our book, The Sustainability Scorecard, came about. Because when you think about health and wellness and all of the inputs that drive our wellness today, it really cannot be divorced from our economic activities. Um, the social and environmental inputs to our health, uh, we are exposed to them on a daily basis, far more than uh, our one-time visits with our doctors, our care teams, and things like that. And so I believe that every firm is a healthcare firm. Every firm has externalities of their economic activities that r- result in an impact on our health. And we are firmly moving towards a future where firms are recognizing the impact of their economic activities and they're looking to create more inherently sustainable products and processes. And the more that we can get healthcare insurers and providers executing public-private partnerships and that kind of thing, the better we'll be able to uphold the wellness of our communities. I love everything you're talking about here, I think this comes beautifully at a time when businesses are finally recognizing, I say finally, because there's still a few that aren't there, that our team's successes, our success as a business relies on our people and our community's people. It is no longer acceptable to just burn out 
a staff member, right. turn them out the door and get a new person in, right? And that's been a very, very long time coming, but I'm finally seeing this change. There are still companies, sadly, who are very happy to burn out their team members, shove them out the door and get a new talent. Although I'd argue that that isn't talent at that point. That's just meat. Um, are you seeing that sea change too? Do you think there's been this shift in the last decade? Absolutely. Um, especially in tech, uh, one of our core focuses is to retain women and diverse women uh, at every level of the organization. And so this is a huge focus, not only for women, but outside of that population. Um, I'm really happy to see that. Also, this speaks to the second bottom line, which is, so when you think about the triple bottom line, there is your financial profits, and then there's your social uh, revenue and your environmental. And so within the social component of your firm, um, the mental health of your employees, their wellness, uh, the number of sick days they take, injuries due to work, the impact of their work on their personal well-being, this all comes under the social benefits that of a firm. And, and, and I'm glad that we're taking more responsibility for that and realizing, uh, especially with the t- pandemic, this became hugely accelerated. And so that's definitely, it's definitely been a trend and a focus for firms, um, but I'm happy to see this get pushed along further. I love that you mentioned that triple bottom line as well, the fiduciary side of it, the social and the environmental. And I think I just want to highlight because I think some people have not come across that before, um, especially if they're not executives themselves. And I think it's really important for us to highlight that and how interwoven they are as well, right? I mean, the classic to me is the social environmental. If you get the environmental right, you have less healthcare issues. If you get the social right, people have more to give back to the environment. They're not going to cut corners and make bad environmental decisions. And you and I both know how important that is for the, to the fiduciary side. Um, what is your take on that? Like, why do you think it's taken us so long to get to the point where we take all three of these things into consideration? And sadly, far too many companies don't take all three into consideration. Absolutely. I think this actually started out with leaders recognizing that everything they do is actually intentionally designing the future. And I think the more leaders recognize that, uh, the more mindful and intentional they're going to be about their leadership styles, their values, the policies that they lead and put forth. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, the the industrial revolution and sort of the assumptions that came with, uh, with that uh, increase in economic activity due to technology and things like that, there were several assumptions that people took, one of which was that natural resources are renewable or infinite. And, uh, and that included human capital that, uh, people can keep performing at the highest level, uh, all the time. And once, and, and should we burn out, we can be replaced. And, and, and that was sort of the perspective that firms took on talent. It's something that was, uh, designed either intentionally or as an externality of our economic activities. And now we're at the point where workers are saying, um, or employees are saying, we're not willing to do this. I'd like to have a long career at a firm, but I cannot if you can't help uphold my wellness um, and my social well-being. And so 
yes, there's definitely a lot of work to do in this space, especially in technology. Um, but but I'm glad to see the tide turning. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's talk again a bit more specifically about what you do. Can you tell me a little bit about your role? In particular, I know you view your role as at the intersection between this healthcare sustainability and data analytics. And you also view it as preventing people from getting admitted to hospital in the first place, which I love as kind of a, a mission statement for a job. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about this and what it is that you do and how you fulfill that goal? Absolutely. Um, yes, this is my favorite subject. So um, I am so uh, grateful uh, to have been able to craft a career in healthcare, uh, specifically in an area that I'm passionate about and speaks to my speaks to my beginnings in clinical care. But essentially, what I focus on in my career is leveraging data analytics to understand populations at a high level and population subsets to really understand what are their risk factors, what are some of the conditions that they are predisposed to, what are their current comorbidities, and how can we impact them? Whether it is so from a provider perspective, uh, when we think about health systems and doctors' offices and things like that, um, these uh, these healthcare organizations are really using analytics now to understand their communities and what are, for example, the top ten, you know, either mental health or physical health um, conditions that their communities are suffering from, and if we could get them involved in programs, for example, smoking secession or otherwise, what are some of the programs we can get them involved with so that we prevent them from further going down the path of their disease or avoiding it altogether if they're at risk for something? And then when you think about it from a payer or an insurance perspective, what I love that at least the payers in the US are focused on is uh, they have a wealth of data from all of the health systems that they support. And so they're really focused on looking at these data sets and understanding various communities where certain, uh, you know, risk factors are increased and different population subsets and understanding, you know, are there certain behavioral triggers that they could put in? For example, if, if I could, if I understood your, uh, your purchasing behavior, if I understood uh, some of the triggers that really motivate you, and I could give you a discounted or upfront a discounted um, gym membership to you as a payer, could I prevent obesity? Or, you know, the, could I help improve your A1C if you're a diabetic? Um, so, these are the kind of things that data enables us to do is because we're able to look at population subsets uh, and, and get into it quite in a quite a granular manner to understand what are certain patients risk factors, what could we do to influence them uh, and sort of prevent an adverse event, prevent an ER visit, prevent a, a hospital stay. If we could upfront certain services to them or if we could upfront disease management, and nudge them over to see their primary care sooner than they otherwise would have. I really love this because it's a data-driven approach, which of course I adore, <laughs> but a data-driven approach to what a lot of companies have viewed as perks, 
Although more savvy companies are realizing if I keep my team healthier, and you know, some people it's gym memberships. Obviously, in the US, it's healthcare is a mandatory thing. But there's also an element of just nice to have. Like I, I know a couple of companies who provide their teams with veg boxes and stuff like that. But it's actually enabling business owners to make those decisions based on data like this is actually going to make a difference do you do it based on the individuals I mean and then do we need to worry about privacy for example like you mentioned diabetes not everybody has diabetes do we need to be cognizant of that piece of this or are you talking about like just giving some general guidance to all companies irrespective of their workforce yeah absolutely that's a great question and you know at a very granular level, I think a healthcare lawyer might be best placed to answer a question like this. Um, but this is a fairly well-established field in healthcare analytics. And so to that end, whenever we advise healthcare providers or like health systems, or you advise insurers, or whether these firms themselves are looking into leveraging analytics, uh, they are bound by regulation, uh, such as HIPAA, which basically prevents the portability of, it, it prevents us from sharing your information with, you know, uh, for example, Google or anything like that, right? The healthcare information must stay within the organization that that is using it either that's a health system or that's um or that's a payer and it can travel with the individual so i own my data i own my healthcare data and there are payer provider collaborations that occur in the us um but there you know there's a lot of legality behind this they really get into what data is being shared uh it must be de-identified so at the end of the day you're not getting into Irvashi's uh, health uh, status and uh, things like that, you're really looking at population subsets at a high level, whether it's in a certain zip code or things like that, or slicing and dicing the data along various lens to understand trends and saying, okay, we have some patients in a certain zip code, or we have a community that tends to suffer from ABC, or, you know, or we have nationally, we have uh, we're seeing, you know, trends for pregnant women, which speak to ABC, how can we prevent this? And so uh, usually this is done, you know, with robust uh, data privacy laws in place. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that the interventions that we're describing here should come from the insurer, for example, rather than the employer? Is that what you're saying? It's both. I mean, I think everything, everyone has a incentive and a motivation to impact the individual. So when you think about it from an employer standpoint, there could be, uh, there could be perhaps something crafted as a employee benefit plan that a organization rolls out for all of its employees or subsets of its employees and things like that. So there's that aspect of it. There's, there's an employee benefit plan that usually occur, you know, there, it's a partnership with uh, an insurance firm. There could be some benefits that the organization just wants to roll out itself and provide it, provide these benefits to its employees. Um, from a payer or insurer's perspective, yes, I mean, that will come directly through your health insurance. And so, you know, they can communicate with their 
with their members to say, you know, we're running a um, discount on a certain gym or we've identified you for potentially, you know, giving you COVID tests, whatever it is at that time. But those kind of benefits can be individually rolled out through your insurer as well. And then, of course, healthcare providers have a huge role to play because if they understand from an analytic standpoint, they're able to get high level information about the communities they serve, they can better craft their outcome programs and their population health programs to best suit the needs of their community. So there's there's a multi-pronged approach here. One thing that this conversation is making me appreciate is something that's been top of mind for me for a long time, which is, I think, for and I'm not a health expert by any stretch of the imagination here, right? No, but I think there is an emphasis in healthcare to solve the problem at hand, the symptom in front of somebody, wait until it's a full-on disease, rather than the underpinning lifestyle changes, which we all know we're supposed to do. We're all supposed to be more physically active. We're all supposed to eat more vegetables and greens and have less sugar in our diets. And we know we need to avoid pollution, all those sorts of things. But, you know, there's very little support from the healthcare side of things for those environmental changes which actually stop disease in the first place for many of us. Not all of us and not all diseases, I know. But a lot of these things come about because of environmental issues, societal issues. Can you see how we can shift that emphasis? Because at the end of the day, it's in the insurance company's interest, one would say, to make sure that we have medical bills to pay, right? Or maybe not. Like I, I, I find a tension here that I don't think we're addressing as a, as a species, actually. Yeah. And I mean, thank you for bringing that up. This is really about going back to our financial models and to innovate them to uh, better serve our communities and say, uh, you know, I should be able to, if I can prevent uh, diseases in a community, then that speaks to whole person care. That exactly to your point that I'm not just addressing the issue that they came in with. I'm also considering these five other things. And so, uh, I'm essentially doing my job the way I should be. And so if I have a financial model that supports that, then I'll be able to, if I'm preventing, you know, if I'm preventing cost to an insurer, then that value needs to be reflected somewhere in that financial model. Because ultimately, when a person has many issues and they go into the doctor repeatedly for various things, this ultimately in- increases that individual's total cost of care to a payer. And so if insurance companies are actually, oddly enough, very well incentivized to really care about how many times you go to the doctor and can we prevent that because preventing that will reduce your overall cost of care. So there's huge cost avoidance part of this where where your health system and insurance company can really align. It's it's good to hear that because you don't often hear people talking about it that way. Yeah, I I agree. And this definitely needs to become more of a mainstream conversation. Um, but this is, uh, as I mentioned, this is why I love my job because we really get into leveraging analytics to better serve our communities because this is such a great area for alignment for between health systems and providers and care teams. 
and the insurance systems and, and employers that all care about well-being want to reduce total cost of care and want to improve, therefore, overall employee well-being. And in the U.S., uh, and you know, there's no such thing as a silver bullet here, but one of the things that has been helpful in this space is uh, value-based, uh, something called value-based care, which actually is a financial model that helps support uh, you know, these kind of things. Um, and so it's a specific contracting uh, sort of model that takes into account the value that is generated for every party in this transaction. If you reduce the total cost of care and if you actually are able to keep people out of the hospitals. Oh, I, I just, I could talk about this all day, but you know, we are here to talk about leadership and tech as well. So um, another thing I wanted to touch on, again, because I think as leaders, as executives, and in my case, a business owner, and I know there's some other business owners that listen to this, is really good to understand those, that, you know, triple bottom line, as you pointed. So I want to talk about the environmental impact of healthcare. Um, and when we were chatting before hitting record, you talked to me about the revolution that you're seeing in healthcare for understanding the material loop of health tech and its impact on the planet. Can you explain that to us all? And how does that impact health of humans as well? Because obviously that's part of what we're discussing today, as well as just health technology in general. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge data analytics role over here as well, and a huge role for technology here. Um, but I really see this as something that is going to receive a lot more focus in the future and for the workforce of the future to... Um, to solve uh, for. And so when we think about the, the third or last bottom line, environmental factors, whether, whether your health impact comes from, you know, landfills where plastics are degrading and therefore leaching toxic chemicals into your groundwater or any other reason, air pollution, because of where you live, it's a highly industrialized area. Uh, there could be a number of things that are affecting your health. And um, analytics has a huge role to play in that because we can understand what is affecting individual health. Are you someone with asthma that is living in an area with a lot of smoke because of, you know, manufacturing processes and things like that? And that's probably not upholding your well-being really well and things like that. Uh, you know, are you someone that's affected by homelessness? Um, there, There is just a number of things that this takes into account and ultimately helps drive health equity. And so that's a very big focus that we see coming up now, which is how can we leverage data and technology to drive health equity and to really start affecting the pillars that are either affecting affordability or access or serving as barriers to care that are of course social, but also environmental. The, the the air pollution example that I gave or the groundwater contamination example that I gave. I mean, these are just like, you can go on and on with these kind of things. And so uh, this is an air, interesting area where there's a lot of focus I see in the US that's just coming up and we're definitely going to require to build more public-private partnerships and more regulation around this to really start affecting the environmental bottom line. Okay, let's move back to you as a woman in tech leader. Um, and particularly for, you're the first guest I've had on working in health tech of any description. So this is an exciting opportunity for listeners. 
What is the number one piece of advice as a woman in tech that you would suggest for us all to consider if we're looking for our next career move? Now, when we're looking to take on that next leadership role, up-level our leadership, maybe move into health tech, what is the number one thing that you wish you could share with the audience? I would share that we need more women advocating for women. And so I would say, don't be shy and make sure that if you have a place at the table, you are uh, be cognizant that you're representing uh, women that are either coming after you or need their issues to be heard. And so as women, we have huge responsibility to support one another and, and mentor each other so that we can get into positions of power, but also stay there. And so I would say the number one career advice I would give women is to help build that woman's club at the firm where you are so that you can strengthen women's voices and really have an impact on the products and the processes that uh, that inform either employee uh, engagement, well-being. I mean, this just I could go on and on. This touches so many aspects of organizational behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that you brought this one up because uh, obviously my job is elevating women in tech. And for anybody listening who wants to be part of a women's club, there is a free leading women in tech Slack community. Head to the show notes to join that. Shameless plug right there. But we do need to be supporting women. And probably I can't think of a week where I haven't had a conversation with a woman who has said, Women don't support other women. And I know where they're coming from. And it is heartbreaking that in 2022, this is still happening, where women get up to the top and they don't lift other women up. There, there is this fear of there's not enough space for me at the top. And I think something else that happens is the counter, the opposite, I should say, of what you just said, which is this attitude of, well, I don't want to have to be cognizant of the fact that I'm a woman. I'm I'm me. I'm a person in tech. I'm not. I don't want to be labelled by the woman label, and I know why people feel that way. And it breaks my heart because the reality is, it is a huge burden. But we are representing the future of women in technology. We are we are here to change the world. If you're not here to change the world, you're working in the wrong sector as a woman. I hate to say it, and I know that is an utterly awful thing to hear, but. The reality is we have this double burden of changing the technology industry in terms of the tech and changing the technology industry in terms of like gender demographics and all sorts of other demographics as well. And so it just, it breaks my heart when I hear that. What would you say to somebody who comes along and says, well, I don't want to be labeled as a woman in tech. I'm not here to support other women in tech. My gender is irrelevant. How do you counter that? Yeah, and there's various, I mean, there's various uh, angles to this discussion too, right? Um, it could also speak back to uh, their gender identification and and the fact that they may not want to be identified as a woman tech. And of course, that's absolutely understandable. But I, what I would say is that at the end of the day, uh, whether you think about this as a a uh, form of legacy, where you think about what are we, what am I leaving for this organization when I leave, or, or you think about this in terms of employee engagement, employee wellness, employee retention, we, we function better 
when women are present at every level of leadership. We only, our firms are representatives of the consumer base that we serve and the patients that we serve. And so a firm without women or a firm without gender diversity or any other kind of diversity is ultimately going to be in, in an ineffective position to compete at the end of the day. And so however you view this issue, I think it's important that we mentor individuals um, and support that pathway to to the rise of the top. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. All right, it's time to move on to the quick fire round. Are you ready? Quick answers. I love these questions. (laughs) What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh my gosh, the worst piece of advice ever was don't negotiate your salary with me. I will let you know what your bonus will be. And I did not stay in that role for too long. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear it. Oh my goodness me. I hear some shockers asking that question. I love that question. I love the next one as well, because sometimes you just hear some truly shocking things. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, the best piece of advice I've been given is to actually absolutely negotiate your salary and let me know what you will be doing the next year and for the next few years uh, so that we can show that your salary better reflects the value that you drive. Oh, I love it. I And I, I just adore it when we have that, you know, the best, the worst, and they inform yeah. each other, don't they? I think so many of us have had that experience. And when we've come through it, we can we can see the beauty of those two juxtaposing like opinions. Oh, I love it. What is the last book you read? Uh, uh, I hate to say this, but the last book I read was my own because I <laughs> edited it only a thousand times. So <laughs> none other is coming to mind right now, unfortunately. But uh, yes, there was just so much time spent on the sustainability scorecard that I think I read it cover to cover at least a thousand times. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I half expected it to be that because it's only just coming out. So um, yeah, I just that's quite fun. Um, we will make sure that the link to that, by the way, listeners, if you want to find out more about everything we've been talking about today, we'll make sure the link to get that book is in the show notes. Um, what is the last movie or TV show you watched? Oh, you know what? I'm just watching The Terminal List, which just came out um, with Chris Pratt. Uh, I'm just on episode two right now. Um, and so I'm not sure if I will uh, finish this by the time your episode comes out, but very intriguing so far. Yeah, we do. We do record a little bit ahead of schedule. So um, probably will be finished. I haven't checked that one out. I'm gonna, that's on my, that's going on my list. Yes, All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Next question. It's all about mindset. Um, as everybody who listens to the show knows, we like to do a mindset tip at the end of every episode. So what is your favorite mindset tip to help leaders? My favorite mindset tip is to always adopt a growth mindset um, and to make sure that you're always learning from others. Um, that's the only way the firm can compete effectively, but that's also the only way that we can be better leaders. Love it. How can people connect with you and find out more about what you do and about your book? Oh my gosh, thank you. Well, I'm uh, always available to connect on LinkedIn. I absolutely love to connect with women and everyone listening to this podcast. Um, But regarding the book, so uh, 
You can find us on uh, the greenovationproject.com. Uh, um, and that has a lot of information about some of the th general themes in our book, as well as a link to the book itself. Also, you can find the book on Amazon, Indie Books, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. Fabulous, fabulous. This has been an absolutely spectacular conversation. Uh, it's a bit off topic, but I think more of us need to pay more attention to this kind of stuff, particularly because it falls under both particularly the social, but the, also the environmental, and both of those impact the fiduciary, the financial side of the business bottom line. So thank you so much. Have you any final thoughts you want to leave us with today? Absolutely. I would say when you go to work today or any time in the future, Remember to keep the triple bottom line in mind and and that should help us always keep our eye on the North Star and to make sure that we're factoring in the social and environmental as well every time we make a decision. Uh, I love it that you just said North Star. It's one of my favorite things. Like We should always be making sure we know where that North Star is, fully aligning with it every single day. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And remember, listeners, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.